0: This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. goes backwards,
1: forwards. It
0: takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the
1: carousel. Hello and welcome to the carousel podcast. This is your host Isaac Simpson. Today I have with me Chris Orzakowski, who is a fractional CMO as he calls himself. Everybody's saying this fractional thing these days. Um, he also runs make it rain monthly, which, uh, I know for sure is actually an incredibly, uh, interesting and successful newsletter about making brands. So he's the perfect guy to bring on here because he is the master of making brands. He's also one of these like Twitter copywriter guys. Uh, so he can tell us what that beat is like. And, um, you know, we were just talking before a a little bit about how the way the world is now really the only way to, survive is to to make your own thing. So um how how have you made your own thing? What has your path been, Chris? And then we can talk about what you do for others.
0: Yeah. So I in college I was a uh I was a wrestler and I wanted to not do anything besides that. (laughs) So everyone was like picking a major and like figuring out their life path. And I was like, I just want to like wrestle and coach. And uh I didn't really want to do anything, you know uh, even in high school, I was like, I don't want to do anything at all, really. But obviously, like everyone has to do something unless you're one of these, you know, old money types who inherits it all, which I wasn't. So <clears throat> I wasn't really sure what to do. So I went into teaching. I was like, at least I like could coach, work 180 days a year. You're a dumb by three, you know, figured it'd be cushy. It was very much not the case. Uh, and like almost immediately, as soon as I started, I taught special education in elementary school actually for two years and then middle school for two years. And it was like rough. It was a, not a great job, you know, and some people love it and that's cool, whatever, right? But uh, I would imagine most people, especially listen to this, probably didn't have like an awesome experience going through school and uh, being a teacher on the other end, it's not, it's not much better, you know, sitting on the other side of the table. <laughs> um, and it was just a lot of this, you know, some stuff that you see nowadays, it's like very much like this group think mentality. It's like you have to, you know, think and teach a certain way. You can't color outside the lines at all. And it was like they would do these weird things, like they would like push a lot of activism and stuff onto you. Like there, like during the 2016 election cycle, they would hand out these newsletters from the union who that you paid that you had to pay dues to. Otherwise, right. like teachers like
1: unions. A, yeah. Yeah. It was like a
0: bit like if you opted out of the dues, you were like ostracized. You were like, no one wanted to talk to you, you were unpersoned. It was so like you had uh, to pay the money every month, every paycheck. Yeah. And they passed out this thing. I'll never forget it. And it was this whole like newsletter, like paper newsletter thing about like on your lunch break, you should be calling your senators. You should be getting out the vote for Hillary Clinton. It was like just ramming this like ideology down your throat. I was like, wow. Okay. Like what if I don't want to though? You know what I mean? Like, am I allowed to make that choice for myself? No, apparently not. Right. Like that's, and even just weird, like there was one year, like we did our teacher in service before the school year started. And they were like, this year we really got to talk to the students about like saving the bees, like this environmental issue. And I was like, okay, like, I guess, sure. But like, is this the, TV? you know, it was weird. <laughs> like they would always like just push these initiatives and stuff. And yeah. I was like, man, I don't love it. I never really loved it. I did it. You know, it was paycheck. Do what I had to do. <clears throat> but I started building my lifeboat essentially. I said, well, I I know people like make money on the internet. So I was like, how the hell does that whole thing work? Right. Like I had a mentor, who this guy, Zach, he was a strength coach and he would like sell eBooks and do like online coaching for like fitness stuff. And uh, he was like one of these guys doing it back in like 2003 before like anyone even knew, you know, that you could, you could do that kind of stuff. And I grew up like learning from him and watching him. And I was like, how the hell does that whole world work? Yeah. Like, how do you sell information on the internet? And like a stranger who, who lives, you know, somewhere else just sends you money. I was like, that's so cool.
1: So <laughs> I kind of tumbled
0: down that whole rabbit hole, you know? And I tried a bunch of different things, had some websites, you know, some strength conditioning websites, I had like a wrestling coaching website, it did okay, didn't really make much money. And then I discovered copy and I was like, wow, people will pay you money to write ad campaigns for them. And essentially, you get paid like 1000s of dollars, and you give someone a Google document with words in it. I'm like, obviously, like it's a very important Google document. The words have to be written a certain way for it to actually work. But I was like, this is incredible. This is a thing where you could literally just write and then get paid and then get paid better than most other writers and most other authors because you're actually making revenue happen for a brand. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yep. Totally. So yeah, I mean, you know, you know how it is. It's 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 like intoxicating and it's like kind of uh it's exciting. And it, it was like my ticket out. So I started just doing that, working with clients. You know, worked with a bunch of people who sell, you know, information uh, courses, coaching, digital products, all those things. Worked a lot of e-commerce brands, too. But I really like the e-commerce stuff because, like, selling a physical product, it's tangible. And there were so many, those like, cool brands forming out there and, you know, um, things that you couldn't find in stores, things that were truly unique that, you know, you could only find from certain people on the Internet. So that was where I really started to focus and just started Building my career, doing email marketing, and then doing other types of consulting and ad campaigns for all those different kinds of companies.
1: Wow. So these were uh these were retards you were working with, right? Retards.
0: <laughs> Some of them, man. It's <laughs> It's like, it was crazy. It was just like the NPC mindset. Not all of them. I, you know, I had some, some, some good mentors and some, some no, no. I really mean like awesome, actual
1: but... retards. Wasn't this all actual retards? You said special oh, education, right?
0: Special ed. Well, I I had, I had resource room. So it was honestly like, dude, here's the thing with resource room. And this is the sad thing. A lot of the times, some of these kids were actually really smart. Some of these kids were, you know, they could definitely hang in a regular classroom, but like, Maybe the parents are drug addicts and they're living with grandma, you know yeah. what I mean? Like in a shack down the road, like, the, and there was a lot of that. And like, dude, it sucked because what happens is the state has these, like, these kids need to pass state tests. And like, I'd have eighth graders, you know, some of them were not very nice, but some of the, some of the kids were like genuine good kids. They just had tough circumstances. And they're like, they need to pass algebra. I'm like, some of these kids read a second grade level. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to happen. And it's not that like, I could be the best teacher in the world. I could be, you know, I don't know the guy from Stand and Deliver, whatever his name is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it ain't going to happen, you know? And you have to then force them through the system, and you have to push and push until they get it. A lot of them aren't going to, and that's okay, because it doesn't mean that they can't be successful in life. They're just not going to be successful doing systems of equation, you know, systems of equations and algebra and pre-algebra and all those other things that you have to do through school. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it was kind of just a shitty situation all around for everyone involved. I
1: see. Okay. And it's interesting to hear what you're saying about like, yeah, you know, you hear it's just like this propaganda, like these propaganda initiatives where they're just telling you, like, talk about this this week. And, you know, like, like pushing this shit down your throat. It's crazy. I mean, it's what made you even get into that in the first place, though, because it's like it seems like it's a very different personality type to be like doing what you're doing now, which is like sell, you know, make it rain monthly. And then being a school teacher, like how did, you know, is that like a normal kind of
0: career I mean, change or? No, not not really. You know, <laughs> there's not a lot of people who, you know, who, who made the kind of similar jump that I did. But but again, it just goes back to like I literally had no idea. Like I knew I didn't want to wear a suit and like go into the city every day. You know, because my dad did that. And like he provided a good life for us, you know, so I'm very thankful that he did that. But, you know, I just knew how much he hated like going to the city, you know, and like those kind of things. And I was like, is that what it is? That what you got to do if you want to like, quote unquote, be in business, like you got to put a suit on, you got to go get a job at some big firm and some, you know, glass skyscraper, you know, like, I didn't realize there was this whole world of entrepreneurship, you know, because what I was interested in was just like wrestling. And then like, when I wasn't wrestling, we were like partying, you know, like, there was really zero consideration about a career afterwards. It was like, no, I'm here to wrestle. You know, like what I say, I ain't here to play school, right? Like, that was me. I was like, I just want to wrestle, train, hang out with my boys. And probably wasn't the smartest use of, uh, you know, the college education experience, but um, I literally just didn't know. So I just said, okay, well, I could still coach and I could still do this thing that I've been doing my entire life that feels comfortable. Right. And I said, I guess I'll figure it out from there. Maybe it's not that bad. You know what I mean? So that was the path that I took. And I, I don't know what else I, what I would have done. Cause like, I like knew I've like heard of marketing before that, but like, it didn't even cross my mind to think about something like that. But you look at like what your strengths are. Or at least I did. Like I said, I'm really good at writing. Like I was always really good at writing. Like I always try to take classes in college where I could write a paper instead of taking a test. And I was good at tests too, but I just loved like sitting in the computer lab. It's 1am packing lip. You're on your seventh red bull. You're just like banging mm-hmm. out word. Like, you know how it is, you know, like you get in the zone, you get in the flow state and it was just like a fun feeling.
1: Yeah. 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 No, it definitely, it is a fun feeling to like create at that level for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So then, uh, what do you do now? You, you, you help people figure out their own brand. So what, what is your advice to people who are starting their own brand?
0: Yeah. I mean, what I do basically is I look at what some of these brands are doing and a lot of these people, they're not, they're brilliant in their own regard. They're brilliant product people, but they're not necessarily like marketing minded. So when they're trying to grow, to put it bluntly, like they're just doing a lot of dumb things, right. Or they're spreading their efforts across a number of different channels and initiatives and, They just can't really make anything happen. Like they can't get any traction with their marketing. And what I just try to do is bring clarity to that process. So the way that I do that is I say, okay, we're going to have something to acquire customers. We're going to have a system to do that. And we're going to have a system to retain and monetize customers. And a lot of this is just direct response principles. Because a lot of the brands I work with, they're not really at that size yet where they could benefit from some of the bigger branding stuff. Like if they were going to run a billboard and I actually had a client who did this, um, they were like, we, look, we bought this billboard on the side of the highway. I'm like, why did you do that? Like, put that money into Facebook ads. You know, like, that's what you need now. Like, you need customers now. You don't need awareness now. Like, they're mm-hmm. a very tiny brand. So I just help people, like, not make those bad decisions and make good decisions. And I think about it from the term, from, like, the seat of I am the person in charge of helping them allocate capital within the business. Because when you have a dollar, like, when you make a dollar in business, you have choices of what you could do with that dollar, Right. You can acquire an asset, you could use that dollar to build an asset by hiring someone to build something internally, right? You could retain that dollar and save it for a rainy day, or you cut yourself a dividend, right? So it's always one of those four decisions. So what I like to do is I say, okay, here's our marketing dollars, here's what the business looks like at a certain size, where is there money in the business? Where could we add dollars to a certain medium to, you know, basically, if we spend the dollar, does he come back? How many friends does he bring with him? What is the timeline of that? You know, system, like how does that work? And a lot of times it just defaults back to Are we running ad campaigns for acquisition to get new customers? And how are we monetizing the back end with automation, email campaigns? And then there's some SMS, direct mail, those kind of things. But it's a pretty basic framework. It's just people don't do it because they have a million other brilliant ideas, oftentimes, which don't ever work out and they don't stay focused. And that's why they never grow. So, what actually
1: does work out though? You know, I mean, like, you know, I, I have another client right now. It's making me think that is the opposite, right? Like they're very smart, very, very smart guys. And they're like, well, we're not going to have a billboard. We're not going to do any billboards. We're not going to do any, as we call it, brand marketing. So just for the audience, there, there's kind of two in today's world. This is not at all how it used to be. But in today's world, like very in the the new world and keep me out, you know, this stuff better than me. So keep me honest on this there's brand marketing and there's performance marketing and brand marketing is what you traditionally think of as marketing. It's fluffy billboard ad, uh, inspirational screed, you know, a beautiful website, all these things that raise equity in your brand itself. Um, meaning people have a good feeling about your brand. The other side uh, which is a brand new field is called performance marketing. And that is essentially social media ads, programmatic ads, where everything's being constantly like ABC tested. It's entirely about driving conversion and tracking. This ad works. This doesn't ad works. This ad works. This ad doesn't work. And then like, you know, you feed three different ad possibilities into Facebook and then Facebook runs the one that works the best. And this is kind of how contemporary DTC direct to consumer marketing works because, you know, there's no create, you don't need to be creative. You just need the computer to tell you which of these things people click on more pretty much.
0: Right. Yeah, I think what happens is there's like a, like a life cycle almost. Like when you're starting out, let's say, you know, you start like uh, a tallow based skincare company, right? Let's just use that. A what? One. A tallow based skincare company. Taliban
1: the tal- t- Taliban? bomb like the, the,
0: this oh. Taliban company. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: taliban, <You know>, bomb
0: <laughs> The tallow, or let's pick a different, let's think like uh masa chips, right? Like you know yeah. masa chips. Like so you start okay. a, a tortilla chip company, right? Like you're selling online. And when you start out, you're making your first few sales. Let's say you get to like $10,000 a month, right? Like the capital that you have at that level is very small. So it needs to get stretched further. And you need to know if you spend the dollar, the dollar comes back, right? It needs to be like the trick quarter machine where like, you know, you put the quarter, but the quarter's tied to a string, you push the button, the soda pops out and you pull the quarter back. And that's what Facebook, Instagram, even like Google and YouTube and some of these other, even like TikTok, um, some people are using now, where you can spend a dollar that day and the dollar comes back that very same day, right? Because what you're doing is you're running a conversion objective campaign. So the objective of the campaign is not to get as many impressions as possible or even as many engagements or video views. The and The pixel is targeted... And it tells Facebook or whoever, find me buyers. Find me people who, if I spend money on ads today, someone's going to buy today. They're going to buy
1: now. Yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: So like, if you can multiply your capital that way, eventually you grow and grow and grow till you get to the point. And this might be, you might grow to be a nine-figure company before this happens, right? And sometimes, depending on your total adjustment market, this is what happens. You get to the point where you've tapped out as much direct response as you could do. And the gains are very small, if that at all. And you have to move to more branded campaigns. And that's why you tend to see, some of it like coca-cola isn't going to run a direct consumer like hey we'll ship you you know uh 36 cans of coke like i mean i don't know maybe exactly. they could try it but they have yeah. the distribution everywhere so for them it makes sense they because they have many customers they have worldwide they can just cast that wide net yeah. because everyone knows what that product is everyone has heard of that product even if Wait, but it's it. not
1: even it's not even about can i mean this is like this is why there's this male female divide in performance marketing and brand marketing right like Everyone in brand marketing is a woman. Everybody in performance marketing is a man. (laughs) You know, like every single person in performance marketing, which is all the people like you on Twitter who are like, you know, increase your think this many fold a a month, right? And or or the people who are doing the newsletter marketing. um, These guys are all guys because it's all about like the, the, Actual measurable impact. Whereas on the other side, you have Pepsi. You know, I just had a meeting with a big brand today, and it was like, I, I you know, I, I rarely work with these brands anymore, and it was, it's just like t- the biggest longhouse. You know, you just you you immediately you're in there, and it's these two middle like you know, 40s ish white ladies. You know, one is like a little younger than the other, and it's just everything they say and do is just so it reminds me it like gives me like post traumatic stress. Cause it just reminds me of working inside the big brands and it's now a hundred percent of marketing managers inside the brands are like, you know, cat, you know, post wall cat ladies basically. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. It's like literally like the marketing world has become gendered. It's like all women and all men on each side. But the point I'm making is that we're saying like Pepsi can do brand marketing, or you know, whatever you say. Coca Cola can do brand. What brand were you saying?
0: The, the, I was saying like Coke. Or they could do yeah, like a Coke. direct response campaign. They, I actually saw them run a Twitter ad earlier today, which was interesting. Was the first one I saw.
1: Yeah, but I think it's so, right, like awareness.
0: They
1: yeah, they don't need to run at all these uh, performance marketing campaigns because, right, they're not trying to like scrape out some new audience, right? But the question is did they need to run the other campaigns either? You know, like, did they actually get anything out of these brand campaigns anymore?
0: You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think I think there's like an 80-20 or even like a smaller breakdown, like where everyone's, like all these big companies are running their campaigns, but a lot of it's just noise and a lot of it's just like bullshit that no one even pays attention to. Like there'll be commercials on the background and like nothing will even... You won't even look up from your phone because there's nothing remarkable anymore. You see this with the Super Bowl, like the last few years of the Super Bowl ads, they've just been like, just getting shittier and shittier. Like they used to be good, they used to be memorable. There used to be ads that, like, even if you can't necessarily place a pixel on the TV and track the conversions, there were ads where, like, oh, I want to buy that now, right? Um, but there's just a lot of like unremarkable work. So I think it's just very like there's that 80 20 Pareto principle of like I'm sure there's a handful of them out there. Like for instance, right? Okay, Polo Ralph Lauren just ran this spot maybe it's been running for a few months now. And I just saw, I got targeted on YouTube and it might've actually been a direct, I could have maybe clicked through to the site to buy. Um, So I guess it's kind of like this fusion, this hybrid, you know, brand and direct response kind of merged together, but it was an incredible ad. And it was this, like, it looks like it took place, you know, a hundred years ago, they had these like old school cars. Everyone's dressed up like they're in like, you know, that 1920s prep Ivy aesthetic. And it was just very like Americana. It was very cool. And, um, there's no words it was just like you know fast cars like those kind. like it was just a cool ad so like i think things like that and beretta beretta has a video i think it's about five minutes um i might post this at some point so i don't know if they ever ran it as an ad but it's this five minutes it's kind of like this did we talk about this the fusion i think
1: i probably sent this this is my favorite ad of all time this brand video yeah 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 it's the fucking best video
0: ever because it was, like, the half-old-school, like, them, like, you know, shaving yeah. down yeah. The, the stock <laughs> yeah. by hand. And then there's, like, this robot, like, you know, laser-cutting the barrel. So the of those two worlds. so good. So, like, when you have stuff like that, I think it works incredibly well, right? And I'm a direct response guy. I'll say that. Like, I I agree with it. Like, I see that shit. I'm like, I need a fucking right up, Like, I need that gun, you know? Yeah, but- yeah. Most people don't do it to that level. Most people, it's just noise and bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not. So, in that regard, like, do they need to do it? Like, no. Like, would there be any noticeable difference if they turn those ads off? Probably not. But the thing is, also, when you get to that certain level and you are, you know, a Fortune 500 company or whatever it is, it's like, well, we have a marketing department and a marketing budget because that's what you do. And here's your budget, and you have $100 million this quarter and you need to spend it. And have at it right so like and it doesn't matter though because they have the omnipresence and the ubiquity where they're going to do fine regardless
1: here this was the uh this
0: yeah human it. technology
1: yeah so good i love this ad so much
0: and yeah you're right it's like a
1: perfect balance between like old school yeah it's like the best
0: because they're fi- they're 500 <laughs> year old company so i love how they merge like their history and they're like story behind it with the technology. I mean, but that's what I mean. Like no one, very few people are creating work at that level. Yeah. You know? Right. right. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. Totally agree, man. So, all right. So like, what, what advice do you have to like, do you do people's individual brands or do you do uh, just, you know, like, do you do, you know, I, I also build brands. So how, what's your process for building a brand?
0: Excuse me. So, the first thing I like to do with everyone is focus on some of the retention back end stuff. Cause, like, when I start working with someone, I could take a look under the hood and be like, All right, how often do you email your list? Do you have any automation set up? And usually it's like, We email once a month or, you know, twice a month. <laughs> so, I'm like, Okay, we're going to go to once a week or we're going go to go twice a week. And then all of a sudden, they're making four times as much money and they're like, Wow. You know, it's not hard. It's not like any magic. It's not like I'm some magician. It's just, you know, follow-up. It's follow-up. It's targeting and It's putting offers in front of people who are ready to buy, right? There's automations, you know, behavioral automations, abandoned carts, welcome sequences, win backs, just basic, like fundamental stuff. that was the thing. Like when I was a wrestler, our coaches would tell us, but like if you want to be a state champ, you need to know four moves. Two takedowns, one move on top, one move on bottom, and you need to be able to hit them on anyone. You don't need a million <laughs> moves, you need four moves. So like that's very much my mentality when I work with a brand. It's like are you running Facebook yet? Are you running any kind of ads? No, we're not running ads. How are customers getting here? I don't know, word of mouth. Sometimes we'll post on Instagram and like, you know, we'll get some views and people will click back. I'm like, but that's not controllable. That's like, you can't determine how the algorithm is going to behave but you can control spending money on ads every day and tracking the results and optimizing from them. That's something you have, like you could pull the levers there and make the math work out in your favor where you're multiplying capital and having customer-funded growth. So a lot of times, it's just literally installing better email follow-ups some automations to plug all the holes in the bucket, the money that's leaking out of their customer list, and then just turning up the faucet, You know, opening the front of the funnel where leads are flowing through. And it's amazing because like it's not like honestly what I do with a lot of brands. I look at their Instagram. I say, hey, these three reels got a lot of views. They're really good. Can we pull out any like copy? Like if they have like a Beyonce song or something like, let's pull that out so we could run it as an ad. We'll put some different non-copyrighted music. We'll take the reel. We'll take some copy. Sometimes I take the copyright from the product page, pop that as the body text, come up with a good headline, run it. And then we just look at the, what the results do. And oftentimes they do well. And oftentimes we're getting a two, three, four X ROAS just by taking good performing organic social content and running them as ads and, with the conversion and objective. Turning it around,
1: right. Turning it around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Right. So, um. I mean, but isn't this kind of like, if anybody, if everybody can basically like measure their ROAs, return on ad spend, by two, three, five times, whatever, blah, blah, blah. If you get, isn't it kind of like arbitrage? Like, if you can get that on social media, why wouldn't you just spend endless amounts of money on that ad, right? You know what I'm saying? Because if you're really getting two times ROAS, it's a magic, you know, you'd it's that's just why not spend a million dollars on it?
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. So here's how I like to explain to people. There's kind of like, you know, you hear the term like total adjustable market, right? Which is like everyone who could possibly, like if you sell meat, it's like, okay, well, there's, you know, $60 billion worth of meat sold across the world every year. So that's like the global total adjustable market. But then like within your industry, even around like the types of products you sell, like let's say you sell, you know, one of my clients, Perennial Pastures Ranch, they sold Ancestral Blend, which is ground beef with heart and liver, really high quality stuff, They're regeneratively raised, really good, really healthy for you, right? So like people who buy that product, that is its own total addressable market. And then within that market is your ad, right? So when you're running an ad, like, yeah, you can get a two, let's say you get a 3X ROAS, right? And you're like, fuck it, let's dump a million dollars and let's go to the bank and borrow money. What happens is with that one piece of creative, what you'll find by looking at the data is that it will you'll be able to scale it up, scale it up, scale it up, and then you'll hit the wall, right? And sometimes the wall might be when you're spending $10,000 a day on an ad because the ad is great. It's a good offer. It's mass market enough. And there's enough buyers within whatever ad ecosystem you're running where you could reach those people in an affordable, cost-effective way. But sometimes like I have one, one guy who's who's going to sign on to work with me in the new year. I was consulting with him a little bit this year. He sells like these Merino socks for like construction workers, people who are like you know shift workers. They're on their feet 14 hours a day. They're sweating. They're doing like manual labor. And with one ad, he was showing me this ad and he's like, hey, I can't get this ad Pass like 250 a day. And I was like, okay, well, that ad, that might just be the cap for that ad. It doesn't mean it's a bad ad. It doesn't mean you turn it off. It just means for this angle, the way that you're wording the copy and the creative that you're using, it's only going to appeal to this amount of people within the addressable market of people who are in market right now for buying socks. So what you do is instead of scaling that spend vertically and keep dumping money in, which sometimes you can, right? If you have a really good ad, you'll find where the ceiling is, but you could just run another ad with a different angle, different piece of content, different headline, different copy, different hook, whatever it is. And you expand the spend horizontally and you might have five ads and maybe they're all spending 250 a day. So now instead of being capped at 250 on the one ad, you're spending 1250 a day with you have five different angles that are hitting different people who buy for different motivations.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, you're saying that there's just like a, there's a, a limit in there for each one of these things. I mean, it, the the algorithm is so strange, right? I mean, it's such a strange thing because like you ever have on TikTok or Reels, you know, like like when you're making organic content for a brand, which we do, you'll get to this point where Like it'll, you'll hit the algorithm, right? So, so what, what will happen is when you're doing it right, you'll have like 10 posts. They'll all be like 200 views, 200 views, 200 views, 200 views, or like 300. And then you'll know you're doing something right when one hits and it has like 2000 and you'll be like, oh, okay. Like, and what that means is, as far as I understand, is you got fed into the algorithm somehow, right? meaning that probably people watched it for a certain amount of time or, or whatever it is. But the weird thing about that is that unlike web traffic, like in the actual web, right? Like when you get like a hit blog, which I've had, when you get a hit on social, the algorithm shuts off. It like literally shuts, it, it'll like hit 1500 and then it's not like traffic keeps trickling in. It literally like just shuts off like immediately. Do you have any sense of like why that is?
0: I mean, I have some theories. I don't know if I if if I have a hard and fast answer, but I think with all the algorithms, and I think this is even tied to the way that they, they run ads in general, is like if you're in charge of like growing Facebook, let's say you're in charge of like growing, excuse me, the top line revenue for Facebook, right? That's your job at the company what do you have in play? Like, What is your asset? Your asset is all the people who advertise in the algorithm, right? So like, you have to know what the numbers are for that algorithm. And that translates down, it trickles down into which pieces of content go viral. What is the ratio of watch time on organic pieces of content versus the ads that are getting shown, right? And like, this is, there's a whole, I'm sure there's dozen floors and floors of people who are calculating these things, right? Because Facebook is a public company. They know they have to grow quarter after quarter. So they know what a click has to be, right? They know what a CPM has to be. They know what the cost of an impression is. And maybe there's variance between industries, but and there's ratios between organic social and ads because there's gotta be a certain balance. Otherwise people wouldn't keep coming back to the platform. I'm not saying I have this all figured out, but I think they have it figured out. And I think they have a pretty good idea of what they need to do to hook you to continue to create content without giving you too much so that way, you know, once you're hooked, like they give you like a drug dealer, they give you the free sample, then you want to come back and start buying every week, right? That's what they do a little bit. Oftentimes people like their first or second Instagram post when they start, and I even test this with a few accounts, like you'll start posting and maybe the second one, you'll have 300 followers, but you get 6,000 views. you will be like, holy shit. And then you start posting every day, right? And now they got you hooked because you're chasing that high again. Yeah, right? yep, yep. So I, I don't know for certain, but if I was running things over there i'd probably engineer it the same way because you know like that's what they're trying to do they're trying to keep you on platform and make money and optimize both of those processes
1: yeah yeah right they're trying to keep they're trying to hook you but i don't know it's it's very weird it's like the algorithm is so i still think it's probably like some asian guy in a in like a <laughs> room somewhere you know what i mean like i, I it's like probably not really you know, I mean, it's like they pretend like it's objective, but you know,
0: I it might. Know. I mean, but look at the stuff at, at like what I've. I'm sure you probably noticed this too. Like hanging out on Twitter a lot, it's like there's always like the topic of the day, right? And I'm like, who decides what that? Is? Like, cause there's there's some content that I see. I'm like, this should be like this is a banger. Not not stuff that I've written, but like other. I'm like, this is amazing. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen, right? And there's other stuff that goes viral. It has like 2.8 million views, and I'm like, is this really like people like it this that much? And again, like maybe I'm just out of touch. I don't know, but. It's like, there's gotta be some type of everyone's like, it's just the AI. And I'm like, maybe, right. Like maybe it is, but like maybe there's a hand on the scale too. There's gotta be,
1: there's gotta be some, but the, the, but the thing is there can't be that much of a hand on the scale because, because like, um it can't be that much of a hand on the scale because there's just too much content. Right. It's just too much. So like, how could they even possibly put a hand on the scale? So that's what's so weird about it. You know, it's like, it, it's such a strange, and it, it's like, I also wonder, I mean, like, all for all this money that's spent on Instagram marketing and everything, it like, how many DTC brands actually make this work? Like, of all the ones that are made, of all the e-commerce that's going on, how many of these companies actually make it, would you say?
0: I mean... That's a good question. Um, the thing is like industry to industry, I think it's a little bit different, right? Like, cause there's brands out there that like you'll see the website and you'll be like, look at this piece of shit. And it's like, yeah, they do 20 million a year. And like no one, no one on Twitter's talking about them. No one knows who owns it. Like the website looks like it's 10 years like outdated and they're just crushing it, right? And they just operate. They're just operating in the shadows, just like compounding capital reinvesting, like, making smart moves. And, like, no one even knows that these things even exist. And then there's other companies that are flashy. Like, what's the one? Hello Bello, the uh, the diaper company with uh, Dax, whatever the guy, Kristen, uh, the blonde. You know, they're the actors. I forget their names. Um, yeah. Just went bankrupt. They were, like, a nine-figure company. Went bankrupt. You know what I mean? And they were, like, the darling of, like, the baby industry, right? So the thing is, like, I think it's the ones who – are smart with their capital and know how to compound it correctly you know because again if you're talking about brands that are like sub 50 million a year like that's the game right that is the game like you're not going to be a big brand player like once you get past that point like yeah then you start investing into brand and it makes a lot more sense right but for a lot of those brands it's the ones who are very smart and know how to acquire and they have differentiated products right like the thing is you know my my new site it's called a hundred year brand. And I'm very interested in like what makes these brands that are around for a hundred years. Like, oh yeah. So wh-
1: tell it, so tell us what, what is, what does make a brand that's around for a hundred years?
0: I think it's, I think it's unique products. It's management of capital. It's running lean. And I think part of it is also like building lifestyle into it. Like when you think about some of the most, maybe not even so, like some more recent brands that have been around, like Harley Davidson has been around for about a hundred years, give or take. Right. But, like that's a lifestyle, right? Like it's not just products anymore right? People get that logo tattooed onto their body. I mean, Apple is only, I don't know, 40 something years old, whatever it is, right? So it's not a hundred year brand technically, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be around for a hundred years because again, if you're an Apple user, you're an Apple person. Like most people who buy an iPhone and an iMac, they don't just magically switch to a PC one day unless something like, unless their, you know, cell phone explodes while they're talking on the phone, right? It's like, unless they have a really bad experience that they're not switching. It's part of their identity. Polar Ralph Lauren, again, I just mentioned them. Like people buy from them, they're not going to stop buying from them for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? So I think there's the component of like having core products that are truly unique and differentiated where you can market them and multiply cash and use customer funded growth in the beginning and not have to rely on debt and funding and all those other things. And when you get to the point where you've been around for long enough, then you make the switch into more of the branded marketing and more of the lifestyle marketing and you build a lifestyle around like what the brand is and like the ethos of it, right? So I think that from what I've seen from the study that I've done, like that's what those brands do. Like they make it a part of a life and who you are, like, even like Lodge Cast Iron, right? They've been around for 127 years. I wrote a thread on them a while back. And think about what they survived. Their factory burned down. They survived World War One, World War II, Great Depression. They survived so much, right? Uh, I mean, like imagine if your office burnt down and like there, there goes everything that you had. Like back in the day, there's no internet. There's no cloud. That was everything. There was their paperwork, their files, all of their manufacturing, and they are able to survive that. But you think about who is the person who uses a Lodge cast iron, like the people who really use those products a lot. It's like a piece of their identity. It's a piece of how they cook. It's a piece of the food they serve every day. And those things are passed down like heirlooms, right? Because you might be cooking with the Lodge cast iron pan that your grandmother used. So like it's almost this like multi-generational heirloom that gets passed down to the family that will last forever. And it's like the recipes that grandma used to cook are still infused into the stuff that you cook today. So there's a lot going on there. There, right, but I think that's what happens with these brands: is they build this like mystique around them and the lifestyle that they give you when you're using their products.
1: Yeah. So, give me an example, but besides the pans, I well, I don't even know what 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 is the pan
0: you're talking about? Lodge cast iron, like the big heavy lodge. Lodge, yeah, they're a Tennessee a brand. Don't lodge yeah they've been around for that was a
1: brand i thought that was just like
0: if you have a cast iron pan it might be a lodge i would check it out (laughs) yeah
1: all right i don't think that's a very good example though because nobody knows what the hell (laughs) i mean that's what that is
0: (laughs) dude everyone everyone who has a cast iron is most likely a lodge so you might not know but like the people who are really into cooking yeah i mean it's one of the most they're one of the few companies that actually exports product around the world that they manufacture in the u.s
1: yeah yeah (laughs) Um well uh all right. So what what are your other what's your favorite brand of all time? Tell me that.
0: Oh, it's a tough one. Um I don't know, I really gotta think. I really like um Altria Group. Well, I mean it's not a it's a like cigarette stock, but cigarettes, but <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not a brand it's-
0: it's not, a, not necessarily, but like you know, you look at you look at what they've done from an advertising perspective, like Marlboro, right? And it's, it's an amazing story, like how they branded it, like they switched the perception, like it used to be a women's cigarette, and they switched the perception of like the manly, like Man, Marlboro Man, like that's such, to me, that's what advertising is, right? It's about like creating an aesthetic and a feeling, an identity that you want to aspire to. And that's why I hate so much marketing today. You Like everything you see on TV, all these ads, like it's not aspirational anymore, right? Yeah. It's like DoorDash blob people dancing with a with a hamburger and a soda sitting on the couch, you know, like, it's like, that's not aspirational. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not cool. But like, th- like the Marble man, that was cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Well, how, I mean, you were saying before, like, you know, uh like starting a brand is one of the few ways you can kind of get free. So, so like, what are you seeing uh in the world today? Like, what are you seeing with, um, the existing marketing regime versus uh as you're saying like do you think that it's possible like can we get back to a place where the mainstream is advertising in a as you say aspirational way again or do we have to pretty much just do our own thing like from here on out
0: I think we can, but I don't think those two ideas, I think they're interconnected, those two ideas, right? Because I think the way that you get there is by people building brands that, because when you think about like propaganda from a high level, like in my mind, like propaganda is like the umbrella term that encompasses everything, whether it is marketing, advertising, actual like typical, you know, traditional propaganda means as we know it, but like it's all under that umbrella term as far as I'm concerned. So like when you see this constant barrage of ads, like with Apple, with, you know, Mother Earth Mammy, you know, lecturing the C-suite about climate change, right? Like that's blasted across, you know, a billion impressions over the course of a year. And then you combine that with every other advertisement that you don't like, that's not aspirational, that's meant to browbeat you, right? Like that has an effect on people. Like the media you ingest has an effect on your brain. It's like when you listen to a song, if you listen to like you know, Alana Del Rey, you're going to feel very different than if you listen to DMX, right? Like you're probably going to be in two different brain states as you're listening to those two different songs. Like why do we think that visual media or advertising is any different? I don't believe it's any different, right? When you watch an ad like a Versace ad and it's this handsome Thursday specimen climbing up in the rain with an arrow and he's got an eight pack, right? Like that's going to make you feel different than watching the DoorDash ad, right? So what happens is in this world that we live in, everyone just likes to bitch and complain that the world isn't the way that they wanted to be and their values and, and like, okay, cool. I agree with all of that. Right. But at the same time, like if you just sit there and bitch, nothing's going to change. But if you build something, you have the ability to change. Everyone's like, there's no money. Like guys on our side, we don't have funding for this. I'm like, yeah. Okay. So go make fucking money. Yeah. Like what was the tooth fairy going to bring it to you? Like, you got to go and make it happen. You got to build a brand. You got to do something right. Or you got to team up with someone or partner with someone like that's what, like, there's this, we're kind of in this, like, for lack of a better term, like, cultural civil war. You know, I don't believe in the whole, like, U.S. is going to be in a civil war. Like, people won't even get off the fucking couch, you know, like, to to go, like, outside and, like, go on a run, go on a walk. Like, they're lazy. Like, no, it's not going to happen. But we're in this cultural version of it, right, where there's these two distinct sides. And there's this story, someone on Twitter posted this, I wish I remember who it was, but apparently there was this guy back in eighteen hundred. 1860 1859 whatever and the south was thinking about you know seceding and this guy was like hey guys before we do that just one thing we should consider like the north has all the factories the north has all the gun manufacturers the north has all of these resources we don't have any of that stuff so if we're going to do this we just have to make this decision with that in mind and obviously like we know how the american civil war went like it was a very bloody conflict and the south wound up losing eventually but like they didn't have the resources that they needed. So culturally, if we're in this quote unquote cultural civil war and we don't have money and we don't have control and we don't own any institutions, then like, how are you going to win? You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? It doesn't mean you go get a job working at the post office and now you're in the machine. Like, that's not what I mean necessarily. You just need to build something where you can employ people, where you could put out your own advertisements with the image that you want to put out into the world and the vision for the world that you want to live in. And that's why I'm very big on like the Art Deco stuff versus the global homo style that you see with all these websites, everything with its inoffensive round blob people, right? Where everyone's the same. And I'm like, no, Art Deco vitalism, like let's go. Like that's what I'm into. And that's what I want to project with my brand. Not that I have this big world changing brand. That's going to be a a Coca-Cola, but like for my little corner of the internet, can I affect my people that way in a positive way that gives them hope and something to think about?
1: Right. Right. I mean, there is something to, um, Like the the way that I've been putting this is like, uh, there's in in, like, historically there's been so many people who have fought back via speech, you know, by by talking or um, by creating art, right? And like, until very recently, uh, nobody ever really tried to like censor that, you know? I mean, it's like, or in America, in America, you know? Like it used to be a much bolder act to speak out against your regime. You know, before America came along, that was like, you get killed, you could get thrown in jail. You know, like all the Russian authors, they all went to jail just for like writing simple shit. You know, where whereas, like, it wasn't until very, very recently in the West that people were, like, getting really canceled or thrown in jail for, like, speaking out, right? Um, So it's, like, when it comes to thinking about things to do that you can actually do to, like, fight back against these forces that everybody, as you're saying, is complaining about, like what are really your options? Like, you can't, you know, start a revolution. That's that's not happening. You know, you could like become a school shooter, I guess, if you want, you know, it's like... <laughs> like not a good idea. You know, like you, but it's like, again, like it used to be like the school shooters would get together and, you know, try and overthrow the government. Whereas now, like, you can't do that at all because you're being monitored all the time. And, you know, there's no real dissident culture in that way. Like in America, it's not like there's like a violent separatist group. You know, I mean, I guess like, yeah, sure. Coming from the left, you have like BLM, but nobody takes them seriously, obviously. Um, So really like your options as a rebel, as weird as it is to say, or somebody who like wants to do something about it, really the only thing you can do is like start a business. (laughs) That's like, you know, the only way. and it's First of all, it's legal. And in a way, like, you know, that's like how to do it. Like, that's how you fight in today's world. That's like how you do something is to like start a business as, as kind of like lame as that is. It's like the only way.
0: Yeah. I mean, dude, I I wish I had the answers. Like I'll admit it. I don't, you know, there's a lot of smarter people who publish articles on this stuff that I enjoy reading, you know, um, I don't have the answers, you know, but all I know is like what I think about is like what I can control Right. Because the thing is, there is like you're saying, like there is so little that you as one person can control. Like if if you're a Caesar, you know, you're a Caesar. You know what I mean? So like if any Caesars are listening to this, okay, Okay. (laughs) disregard. But for everyone else who's not a Caesar, right, who's not going to like be the leader of of the thing. Right. I think that you work on yourself and you make yourself wealthy, make yourself healthy and you live an aspirational life that other people want to live up to. And that's the hardest thing in the world, because it's very easy to point the finger, to complain, to do all these things, but it's not easy to work on yourself and make yourself better. And like, it's never the answer everyone wants to hear, right? It's not the answer I want to fucking hear. I wish there was, you know, like, I wish there was another outlet, but I don't know, you know, maybe there is, maybe maybe someone else comes on next week to the podcast and has the answer. And I hope so. But for me, I just know that I can control what I can control. So like what I'm going to do is I'm going to make myself as wealthy as possible and make (laughs) myself as strong as possible you know what I mean, like, and I'm gonna yeah. focus on those two things, so that way, you know, you never know what's gonna happen in the future with anything. Like, that's that's the th- you never know how the pendulum is going to swing. It doesn't yeah. just swing two ways; it can swing 360 degrees around from right, many different angles. So, I don't know. Like, I think that's the only thing you can do is just prepare.
1: Yeah, well, and just like make yourself. I think, as you said, you know, making yourself better is really a a very important thing. Um, so. Um, all right. Well, in terms of your own business, like what, um, I don't know. I mean, like where, where are you seeing, uh, where's you seeing yourself fit into the, to the revolution?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to like, what I have this vision for is like all these old guard brands who are replacing their ingredients with seed oils and endocrine disrupting shit right? And strip mining, like the soil, like it's all these bad things. Like how do we create the new generation of brands who aren't going to do those things, who actually have their customers interests at heart, right? So like when I pick clients, I look to see, are they going to contribute to the vision of the world that I want to be living in, right? Mm-hmm. So back in the day, I mean, you know how it is. Like when you're starting out, it's like, you'll take any client, you'll take any gig that, you know, especially when you're new, when you're getting your, your foothold, it's like, cool, I'll write for this. You know, I wrote one time for a a menopause information product launch, you know, like I was like, whatever, I'll take on the gig, I'll do some research, I'll figure it (laughs) out, you take on whatever, because you need the money. But then you get to the point where like, not that you don't need the money anymore, but you get to be a little bit choosier with who you work with. And you say, I want to work with people who are contributing to this vision that I have, right? And I'm going to use my skills and my superpowers to grow them and to pour into them and to make them the winners at the end of the day, right? Because I don't know, like, like I said, I don't know what else to do. Like that's, that's the thing. Like, but if you can accumulate enough wins and grow people enough and grow, like every organization kind of has a soul, a North star guiding principle, kind of like this, you know, mentality of how they do things. Right. And like, not every brand, like you said before, like not every brand is going to win, but yeah. we know that. Right. But what I have to think is the people that work with me, we're going to win. We're going to find a way to win as long as we can build a moat, Around your business, as long as we can multiply capital the right way, as long as we can differentiate the right way, as long as we can weather the storm, the government shutdown, whatever comes our way, like as long as we can weather that because we are sound and fundamental with marketing and we could grow, then we'll be around long term. And then on a long enough timeline, I think we win.
1: <sighs> what does winning mean, though? You know, everybody's saying winning, winning. I, You know, I think it's like, uh, yeah. You know, we are going to win. Well, good morning. We're going to win.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do I define it? It's uh, it's control and power, you know, like the end of the day, like it's, you know, you, if you have power and you know, if you don't, you know what I mean? Like it's pretty binary as far as I'm concerned, you know, like if you think about the the, again, it comes down to like, what is the vision you have for the world that you want to live in? is the vision a reality or is it still just living in your mind? I view like there's varying shades in between there. Right. But like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, there's the great man of history theory. Right. And I think that the people who make history, the people who said, this is the vision that I have, and I'm going to enforce my will upon the world. Right. I'm not saying that's me. I'm not saying, Oh, I'm going to be, know Alexander the Great, right? But I'm just saying that like that like winning is in the mind of the person who sets out to impose their will upon the world. So like if you like I know what I want the world to look like. I have my own values that I would like this world people in this world to live by. So I'm gonna continue working until I make that happen. Right. So maybe winning is this individual perspective that we all have or maybe there is an actual hard and fast definition. I don't know. But again, I can't control what other people's vision is. And I can't control what other people think. I can just control what I do and see the impact and the outcomes that it has.
1: Yeah. Right. Instead of like getting so uh, bogged down in it. So would you say that you uh, are a man of the right?
0: I guess you could say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So were you, were you born that way or were you, did you find that way?
0: You know, I just I like didn't give a shit about like anything. I mean, actually, when I got to college, I wanted to be a political science major, but I could not stay awake in uh, poli sci 101. I fell asleep. Every class was so boring. So I said, okay, I guess I can't do that. But like politics, I was like, eh, whatever, that's for like nerds. You know, like that was always my kind of like philosophy. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, over time, it's just it's values right it comes down to a lot of values and like what do people where do my my personal values align with right like it's this idea of vitalism like which side is promoting that you know what i mean which side is promoting like i was a wrestler like i said you know what i mean like i don't believe in the whole victimhood olympics that everyone's playing like because the thing is like for me like as a wrestler like i wrestled division one right like You step into the circle, you're going to win, you're going to lose. And it's not anyone's fault if you lose. It's not your coach's fault. It's not your teammate's fault. They're not in the circle with you. It's you and the opponent in the circle. So that very much shaped my worldview with how I view everything. I think that kind of tends to naturally lean a little bit more right-leaning than left-leaning, right? Because, like, it's about being objective. It's not about my feelings. It's not about why I felt I was the better person. And I was victimized by the other opponent. And he had this offensive color singlet. And that's why I lost. And the crowd was yelling and I felt it like, no, 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 it's not how it works. Right. Like I got the shit kicked out of me. That's why I lost because I partied last weekend like yeah. an idiot instead of training. Like, so that very much influenced the way that I think about everything in the world.
1: Yeah, it's it's working on yourself is the way to to win. I don't know, man. I it took me a very long time to get to. Uh, I mean, why, why how do people get so? I mean, to part of me thinks that like communism is a state of it's like biological you know i literally think some people are just born like they're born that way like did you see that thing recently of obama like his letters as like a young man where he was like gender is not real and i dream no. of a world yeah he was like a, you know dreaming of a world where he could transcend his gender and join you know the the pure spirit of, of something, something not like, I, I genuinely this. think people who think that are it—it's just they're born that way. Like I, I think that people who like they, they and they just see the world a certain way, and it's like they see the world as like this very interconnected thing. You know, they're they're like hyper socialized. I, I think communists or people who are or left wing people, they're like they see the world as this like interconnected mass of people. Whereas I think that right-wing people see the world as like individuals, you know? And in a way the left is more right than we are kind of, I mean, it's like, we are actually just like a fucking mass of bugs.
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah. Like I, I don't, I can't, I don't know exactly how to this, I, I agree with you. I don't know like exactly what it is, why people, like I see all these people and they're like every like every pro like there's protests and there are all these social it's gone back back to like the first one I can remember was like the Joseph Coney twenty twelve. you remember that whole thing? That was like one yeah. of the original, like viral. And I like it was like kind of the first big like meme thing and people were joking, but like people like really took it to heart. And I'm like, yeah, it's bad, like what it was happening over there. I'm not gonna deny that. But at the same time, like people really care. I'm like, why do you fucking care so much? You know, what I mean, like you don't know this guy. Like you you don't live there. You live 3000 miles away, you know? <laughs> like there comes a point in time when you realize that you can't shoulder every single burden of every single person's problem on earth. And some like you say that to some people though. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, you can't like logically, like you can't physically do. That. You can't you can't even name every single person On earth, you die before you get to the end of the list, let alone care about every single one of those people. And doesn't mean that you wish harm upon other people. It just means that, like, like for me, like my hierarchy goes like myself, my wife, my family, my extended family, my friends, my customers, my local community, then my state, then my country. Like, that's by the time we get there, I don't really got much left for anyone else. You know, it's not that I don't care (laughs) about other people, it's just that like I'm tapped out, you know what I mean? Like, I'm providing a lot, I'm working my ass off. I'm spreading a lot of like myself very thin across helping and supporting and caring for a lot of people. As far as I'm concerned, that's hundreds, thousands of people. Like how many more thousands am I supposed to personally be responsible for? At what point is my cup full? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But people on the, like these hyper leftist comments, like, I don't know they don't their brains don't work the same way they don't think about it like that and they think no you have to care about this person over here you have to care about this person in kazakhstan with this story and this orphan this but i'm like i'm never gonna meet this person like i'm sorry that it happened that sucks but like it doesn't affect me you know what i mean like i can't be responsible but that's the problem with social media with social media it's just constant in your face in your face in your face in your face and i think what you said about these people terminally socialized like terminally online like just always like in other people's business like worry about your fucking self first of all and like Jordan Peterson has kind of been like I don't know, kind of off the fucking rails, right? Like ever, you know, ever since he got real popular a few years ago. But like he had that one thing from his book is like, you know, set your own house in order before you criticize the world. And like most people do not have their own house in order. So like, that's yeah. the first thing right off the bat. Like if you're one of these people who's saying I need to care about X, Y, Z, like, well, how about your, you worry about your fucking self? I'll worry about myself. Set your own house in order before you worry about what I'm worrying about.
1: Yeah, it's the, the thing is, it's like, I don't know, you know, what what's happening to humankind is like kind of, it's going to be interesting to see what happens though, because like the, and the notion of self-sufficiency, right. It's like, are we ever really going to get back to a place where self-sufficiency is needed? Like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I think we we came from every problem in the world up until like a hundred years ago was seen through the lens of, uh, scarcity, you know, like food, scarcity, family, scarcity, life, scarcity, you know, like resources, scarcity, every problem used to be scarcity. Right. And then like, suddenly, since the Industrial Revolution, you know, 100 years or so, it's the opposite. Now everything is not scarcity. Every, like we're, we're in like a completely new paradigm where the problem with the world is not scarcity anymore, at least here. You know, I mean, of course, in Africa, there's still places that are facing sca- scarcity. So it's like I a little part of me thinks that the people who view it as... You know, you're going to be able to make it on your own or, you know, I'm going to go off and live in bumfuck and be off the grid. It's like to me, those people are kind of just like waiting around to die a little
0: bit. You know, like yeah, they're, it's they're a good they're, way to put it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the towns Van uh quote. But, um, you know, they're, they're kind of like, uh, all right, you got off the grid now what <laughs> like, Wait, uh, okay what now doing? now, like, like, now you're, you're yeah like sitting around like yeah. it's not
0: gonna save you well that's the thing right. like it's a romantic notion that it has an allure to it i won't deny that right like yeah. everyone has that like want to just tell everyone to fuck off and like like my thing is always like i always joke around like one day i'm gonna fucking disappear delete my website delete my twitter and the family and I were going to go live in a villain like Como and no one's ever going to hear from me again, right? And, like, yeah. that's funny. But, like, A, I think you'd get bored. B, I think also, like, everyone's like, you want to get off the grid? Like, I want to become the fucking grid. I want to own the yeah, grid. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, exactly. like <laughs> that's what I think. And, but I think the thing you said about, like, yeah, the this whole, like, what used to be scarcity was the issue. And now it's the complete opposite. Like, I think the thing that unifies everyone, maybe pulls us out, if that's even possible, if, right, is, like, space. Right. Like, can we cause things are scarce in space. Right. And like yeah, I just think back to that quote. There's some story. I and again, I'm I'm like forgetting to attribute a, a number of different things. Uh, but there's this story, I can't remember where I heard it. But it's this guy. He's like a janitor in the space center, and like I don't know, the president or someone was visiting, and was like, "Oh, what are you doing, sir?" And he goes, "I'm helping to put a man on the moon." And he was just, you know, cleaning the bathrooms, right? But like, there's always that perspective of like, what what kind of work are you doing? Like, are you just cleaning the toilets, or are you like you working towards the bigger goal? And like, I think space could be one of those things that brings us back to that. And I don't know if it's even possible. I don't know if it's mendable. I don't know if it's fixable. It very well, might not be. But I think if there is anything, maybe that could be the thing that we all turn our sights like skyward into the next frontier. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, so again, this is one of these things that we're hoping for. We're like hoping for this, you know? Um, And we, we want to believe, like, I think we want to believe that we're gonna um, get back there. And, and that we're going to get back to this place of scarcity and, and we're going to get back to this place where the, like, you know, we can kind of make sense of things because that's like everything up until now was sort of couched in that. I just don't know if we're ever in our lifetimes going to like return to that thing. I mean, I hope that space travel works out and I hope that that is where we go from here. But Uh, Part of me also thinks like, you know, the next 2000 years is going to be the reverse and it's going to be all the the battle is fighting this. Not the the, the, like monster of nature, but like fighting the monster of like over socialized humans, you know, like basically like fighting communism. (laughs)
0: <laughs> more yeah. or less yeah well i mean the but the fight's been raging for a while now you know like when you look back like there's uh i used to listen not anymore but there's that the hardcore history podcast with that guy dan carlin yeah Bugman. Kind of bug man. But He had this one yeah, episode. What happened years to Dan? Ago.
1: What happened to Dan? I think he, he got just Trump lost it, derangement man. syndrome, and and it's, it's, like and there's, there's
0: no vaccine for that. There's no care for that, <laughs> so, man. Unfortunately, no vaccine
1: for Trump derangement.
0: Many, many such cases, yeah. yeah. But no, he, he had this one podcast, and it was probably my favorite one out of all of my listeners, and it was about the Anabaptists. Yeah, oh, dude, oh, Munster. I
1: love that one. I fucking that, that is so good. What's
0: that called again? It was, dude, I like I listened to it like three times. That was incredible incredible but like what is what do you call whatever took over their brains like could that be described as communism yeah that was like early communism
1: that was so like that the the anabaptists they got a and that was
0: in the 1600s 1500s whatever yeah they they were they were definitely like
1: early commies like for sure and it's like yeah, yeah it's like a disease of the mind
0: and they dude they put them in those cages and the cages are still standing at the church today i was like they're nuts that's so crazy what was that called yeah i i gotta Uh, find the episode we gotta link the episode in this in this thing but uh it was incredible i mean it was an absolutely incredible like it took over the city prophets Prophets of doom Doom. that was it
1: so good
0: dude so like who knows maybe it's always been a, a part i mean there's a lot of like I'm sure much smarter philosophers than you or I have kind of weighed in on on the duality, right? The two types of, of of mentalities, and I think maybe it's just always been like that since the dawn of man. I mean, I don't know. Like again, I'm not necessarily an expert in the topic, but I think if you just keep looking back on the timeline, you'll find examples. Like it's just always this never-ending battle. And then it goes back to like biblical times and like, I'm sure there's ties in there. Like, again, it's, it's beyond my pay grade to really unpack all that. There's a lot of smart people in our space who probably could do a better job than I can, but um maybe it's just a default function in, in certain people. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's weird to think about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is weird to think about it And it's interesting. I mean, I, I just think like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know so what, uh, yeah dan carlin what a what a crazy man what a shame <laughs> what a shame yeah dude because he's so good his podcast is just like so so good i know Did you ever it hear happens. uh the one on um like uh so he has the one about like world war one that's really good he has the one about the Eastern Front and World War Two, Ghosts of the Ostfront. You ever listen yeah, to that one?
0: Yeah, I think I did. I think I listened to that one.
1: Yeah, that one's pretty bomb, Ghosts of the Ostfront.
0: I thought the, the World War One ones ones are my favorite because everyone's focused on World War II. And obviously, there's a lot of like content on that. But dude, World War One seemed like... I'm Sure World War Two was also hell on Earth, but World War One just sounded like a hundred times worse. I mean, actually, that this is a good
1: segue to what we're talking about. Like in the world, my favorite part of the World War One one is like the dudes who killed uh um Franz Ferdinand, right? Wasn't that Franz Ferdinand? or no. Yeah, yeah, Franz Ferdinand that was how it started, right? Yeah. And like the dudes who killed Franz Ferdinand were these total like loser, like Serbian losers basically, you know. And they were like hanging around, just like juicing each other up, uh, because you know they were like they were basically just like um, like incels of that time. And there was this <laughs> coffee, there was like this coffee shop culture where they would like sit around and like plot and you know you could never have this today because it would be completely like monitored by things but um and they were like bumbling idiots and then one of them they decided okay we're gonna like kill Franz Ferdinand and Franz Ferdinand like showed up and they tried to kill him and they fucked it up like the gun didn't work or something (laughs) right and then like or like they tried to blow him up and like the bomb didn't go off and then but Franz Ferdinand like got away and was like driving around town, and then like six hours later, they like stumbled out of their coffee shop and, yeah, Franz and they was found like, him right there. In yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And they it's like a Tarantino
0: him. movie or some shit, yeah, you know. Yeah. You could imagine,
1: get to go to work. What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> come on, come dude. On. <laughs> and then it like goes off and kills him, and like that's World War One. Um, and like, but that always strikes me too, because it's like all these incels, all these angry guys, like in a way it's their job to keep like the soup of society, like moving, you know, like angry young men. But now we live in this world where that's like impossible. Like, you know, they've been sort of like totally by porn and by just surveillance, you know, they've basically been like, uh
0: taken out of the like young men
1: have been like taken out of the equation kind of you know
0: well yeah i mean that's that's like i love you know like blood meridian i love the 1800s like learning about all that like the frontier how it was settled and you know it's someone was saying again I'm forgetting... I see so many freaking tweets. I forget who said all these things, and I wish I could give attribution, but uh, someone was saying how, like, it was a different... Maybe it was in Man's World. Maybe it was one of the... It might have been Man's World. I forget who wrote it. Uh, Alaric, maybe? One of those guys. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he was saying, like, the thing about, like, Blood Meridian was, like, that was an example of, like, the type of man that it took to civilize the West. But then the next wave of men was not the same, and they kind of discarded the The people who desavaged the West initially, like it was like it was like okay, your job's done, right? And now, like it is a different world we're building on top of that area, and so like it's very interesting to see as you look at different historical periods how there's certain types of men who are kind of maybe they're molded or maybe they're just promoted or prioritized based on what their skills are for different jobs that need to be done at certain time periods in certain areas, you know what I mean? Like when you think about like what it took, I mean, like, it's crazy to think like we were at a wedding in Arizona earlier this year and we were in, what is it? Paradise Valley. Is that the name? Like in Scottsdale over there, it was beautiful. But like, I just imagine like 150 years ago, like imagine being the first fucking cowboy to stroll into that valley when there's nothing, you know, in the fucking desert. And you're thousands of miles from like anything, like the balls you got to have to go and do some shit like that. You know, when there's fucking like, you know coyotes and like you know things snakes things that can kill you and there's nothing there's no water faucets like there's 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 no hotels It's just, you're the first fucking guy out yeah. in the frontier and like it's just a dip- there
1: right and but By like yourself. but
0: the, and like there's no more frontier anymore which is yeah. like okay. it's and i think that's part of the reason why like some people have problems it because again like some people some of these incels some of these people who like maybe are in that camp right maybe they were people who in a different world with different opportunities would be more suited for those kind of things. Not everyone, obviously. Like there's some people who are just some people are just fucking losers. You know what I mean? I'm not saying everyone like I'm not making blanket statements. I'm just saying like there's winners and losers, right? Like, but some people might have been better suited for different things, but you just live in this world where like your job is to fill out a fucking TPS report every week. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like and then and then go home and drink your Bud Light beers, your six pack of Bud Light beers on a Friday and then go watch the fucking go watch, you know, uh, pride night of the Dodgers game. And like, that's your life. And you do it, you know, 40 years and then you die. And then, you know, you get, you retire three months later, you're dead or whatever. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know, but it's very interesting to see. It's very interesting. Like what is required to be successful now. And I think for now, at least, I don't know, but like, for me, the frontier has been business because again, it's more about mastery of self. It's more about mastery of like my own mind. And I think business, like for me, it's a big journey of personal development and I don't want to get like all woo woo and all that shit, but like, you do have to improve yourself if you're going to be successful. You know what I mean? Like you can't be a schlub. Like that's why some of these guys are very fucking cringe with, you know, they do the morning routine and they, they fucking do their green juice and six hours of meditation. They journal for for eight hours and they get ready to get down to work. I'm like, okay, it's a little fucking much because some people just take like the self optimization and like all that shit to the extreme But there is a certain aspect of self-development that you have to go through if you are going to be a successful entrepreneur. Like it is like its own crucible you have to like go through and survive if you're going to make it out the other end.
1: It's, yeah, it's, well, and Nietzsche talks about a a lot about this. It's like these weird warped, it's like your will gets all warped, right? Like the will of a cowboy is so direct you know it's like you're you're facing wilderness right and like bad guys and so your will is like okay overcome these things you know and and that's why i think so many people like camping and like you know they like these kind of single-minded activities where you're forced to um like tangle with the elements right because it's like it, it puts a it it makes it so that it's like your will versus nature. And that's a very like comfortable place for us to be in because that's like naturally how we're built to, to act. Right. But yeah, it's like, dude, like the most alpha guys, like, I don't know if you have any like super alpha male friends, but like, the real alpha males. None of them are fucking posting about Nietzsche on Twitter, man. N- n- none of them, not fucking one. Like the except real, for us. yeah, except, except for you and me. Bro. <laughs> but like the real fucking alpha males are, you know, closing hundred million dollar real estate
0: deals. They're, you know, they're what I'm out saying? there like, being alphas. Yeah, right, exactly.
1: Like, like I went on a. Uh, I've told this story a million times, but like you know, I in New York, I hung out with like some of the the finance pros or. Um, you know, here I hung out with the real estate bros. I went on like a bachelor party with a bunch of just like ultra rich real estate bros here, right? It was like, you know, wasn't a lot of uh intellectual conversation, but <laughs> but, but it was just like pure fucking willpower. You know, everywhere mm-hmm. we went, it was just like best tables, fucking money, girls everywhere, you know, just like complete nobody thought about anything, it was just complete fucking straight willpower but the thing is all that cowboy willpower right that these guys have they don't give a fuck about the world they don't care. it's about personal maximization as as mm-hmm. you're saying right
0: it's it's very uh, much chad thundercock mentality Yeah, chad you know i mean fucking like, thundercock. that's what it is but,
1: but the problem is in order to be chad thundercock in today's world they're they're having to like like, squeeze themselves into these like longhouse ass fucking jobs, right? like they're yeah. they're basically having to, like pretend that they're, you know, like a super non-problematic guy. And then they have to, like give these presentations in front of in front of people, right? And so I think like that's what's interesting about this challenge in front of us is like, you know, Do you try and tell that person, like, do we try and get through to those type of alpha males who in general, like, don't believe in complaining, as you're saying? Like, they don't believe in, like, you know, trying to change the world. Like, that's completely retarded for them. Like, they believe in just trying to, like, take from the world what you can. Like, the modern-day cowboy is, like, you know, yeah, making real estate deals or like working for Goldman Sachs,
0: right? I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong about this, but I think that there's like, I think some of those people. So I'm going to connect a few ideas here. You've read, have you read Class by Paul Fasel? No. Funniest book I've ever read in my life. Phenomenal. It's about class? the American class. Yeah, class. It's about the American social class system. By that's Paul, like invisible. What? Paul Fasel. He was this professor at UPenn. He wrote a book on World War One, too, but This actually
1: uh, sounds really cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna Dude
0: I never laughed so hard reading a book. It's so fucking funny. I'm gonna get the
1: audible. I I only listen, I don't read books anymore. I just listen to them. You,
0: it it'd be good. It'd be a good one for audible. Oh, there it, is no, there isn't. It's that audible. style. I think there's an audible. He he talks about like class not being yeah. this. It's not about money. Even though people think it is, it's really not about money. It's like how you think, how you act, oh, totally. how you behave, yeah, how you present yourself. True. And I think that there's a lot of what happened was like, there's definitely some like Chad Thundercock guys and all those fields who are like, they're imposing their will upon the world. But then there's also other guys who are kind of doing the same thing, but they belong to the peasantry. And there was this episode of uh, Caribbean Rhythms, and Bap had on the Russians with Attitude guys. I forget their names. Yeah. But think- uh, he. There was one line they dropped that said like the peasantry is malleable, and like I that always stuck with me because like a lot of these people who are they're just like going out closing deals, they're still the guys who're going to go home and they're going to have their six or Bud Light, and maybe they drive a G wagon, maybe they live in like a, you know a two and a half million dollar home or whatever, but they're still like they don't have these thoughts, and and which is not necessarily a bad thing, but like they are malleable in that way. Where like if you are someone who has one foot in that world and one foot in this world of like understanding these ideas, and you live the aspirational life you will get the influence of those people because you think about, like, here's why I think this makes sense and why I'm not fucking completely crazy thinking about it this way. You see these videos on Twitter of these fucking guys and they go to this alpha male boot camp and they're doing the ice bath and the guy's screaming in their face. <laughs> so yeah, like, I saw that. I saw that. And, and it's, maybe you do work at Goldman Sachs and you're, you know, a VP and you make 500K a year and you got the house and the wife and the kid. And bu- but like, so why are you then still going to that? Unless, unless... You're performing like the Chad Thundercock, but your like your class, how you view yourself philosophically, where you fall, like you are malleable, and you don't have that strong. Like it looks like you have the will in some aspects, but not completely in every aspect of your life and every aspect of your being. Does that make sense? I hope I'm like not. Too well, far what, off the do, you what do you mean? What do you mean
1: the peasantry is malleable? Like what Like
0: the mean? way that they think. Like if they watch something on the news, they're going to think, "Oh, well, that's just true." You know what I mean? Like, it's like the NP, like maybe they're very, very good at closing the $100 million real estate deal, but there's nothing else in between their ears in terms of like how they think about how they vote, how they act, who they support, what they support, why they support it. The ideas are just planted there through media, through other means, and it just programs their brain and they think a certain way, right? Like maybe they're a killer in one aspect of business or one thing they've gotten really good at, but other than that, they're just a normie. You know what I'm saying? But how do
1: we make them feel like, like, I guess you can't, but they're not the peasants, right? I mean, that's the thing that they're not. The not,
0: not financially, but like they have the same wiring. Yeah, Not, I get it. I get it. It's okay. not. A, and it's not a blanket statement. Not all of them, obviously. Oh, I see what
1: you're saying. I see. What you're but saying. it's
0: just that like more of like that normie NPC type, like mental operating system where it's just like they can just go with the flow, like whatever. They're a killer in the boardroom. And after that, they just the brain shuts off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a lot of people like that and they're good people. A lot of them, you know, many fine people on both sides. Right. But <laughs> I don't know, like I've, I've met people like that. They're cool, whatever, you know, they're nice, but there's just not. And how do you reach them? I don't know.
1: It's kind of know. an unexamined life kind of thing. Yeah. Just yeah. Stay in
0: your lane, just stay in your lane, perform well. Don't worry about anything else. It's like, okay, well, Is that all there is, though?
1: But I don't know if those guys are ever going to. I mean, well, I mean, and that's why Blood Meridian, right? Like, how did you get those guys to ethnically cleanse the Indians that like literally there was a price for scalps? (laughs) 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what Blood Meridian is about. Blood it's it's about Charlie them. Munger. It's
0: show me the incentive and I'll show the outcome. I think that's yeah. That's it's what about it
1: is. right. Exactly. It's literally about a group that is being paid twenty five dollars for every Native American scalp they they bring in. You know. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty fucking crazy
0: if you think about it.
1: Yeah, that's we got to bring that back. <laughs> we got, we I got, don't
0: know, man. I think we need to uh, send some cold emails and, uh, you know, <laughs> close some retainer deals and, you know. I think
1: it's about cold emails, personally. Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely cooler life. Um. All right, man. Cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Um. I, yeah, I'm trying to get better as a podcaster about just shooting the shit. I had this mm-hmm. guy on my podcast recently who um, – uh swampist and swampist um uh was very good at like shooting the shit you know yeah like i think that's what you got to do you got to just like learn how to shoot the shit on these things well the
0: the thing is like what do they say there's like more podcasts than people now or like however they measure like there's so many freaking podcasts and like I think people, I think if it was like 2015, you can get away with like, here's my format of my show with my questions. Like yeah. John Lee Dumas was the guy who got really famous for Entrepreneur on Fire. And he asked like the same eight questions every single person, he did an episode every day. It was like this whole big system. And it was like early, so it blew up. But I think like for me as a guest, like when I go on, they're like, so tell me your story. Tell me this about email marketing. Tell me that. I'm just, it's the same fucking podcast, just a different, different cover art every time, you know? And it's like, it's refreshing to at least, go into some other different topics and talk about other stuff. Like, yeah, business, obviously, because it's a big part of what we do. But, you know, philosophy, everything. Well, going but on in the world, what
1: people don't know. realize is like this is why I always laugh so hard at these at these uh, marketing related podcasts. Is, dude, nobody wants nobody wants mar- there is no audience for marketing content. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Like they, people all want to start these podcasts about it. I mean, it's like w- what, you know, doing it at the high end makes sense. But, you know, if you're actually selling like, you know, as you're doing, like if you're actually giving valuable tips and and having people spend money to get those tips, that makes sense. But trying to like have a marketing podcast, that's going to appeal to the masses. I'm always like, there is no audience for that at all. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's gotta be niche, or it's either gotta be niche or like this, where it's off the cuff and super interesting, you know?
1: Right, exactly. Um, all right, dude. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more. We'll talk more soon. Appreciate it. We'll send people to all your websites. Uh, make it rain
0: monthly. That's right.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, all right. I
0: appreciate right. you having me on, man. Thank you.
1: For sure. Peace.